0: It's becoming increasingly difficult because there is so much noise. I mean, if you look yeah. at, you know, how many tens of thousands of startups begin each year, you oh, know, knowing so that there's a 90% yeah failure rate yeah. by the end of the year. And, you know, that's also heartbreaking, too, because so many people believe in what they're doing. That's why they're, you know, putting all of their time and money and effort and everything into creating this to make a difference. And then, you know, it goes south and, and that's disheartening for sure. But as far as like how do you connect with your users, a lot of it is just it's that sort of like magical triangle. It's you have the right thing at the right time and somebody is there to shine the spotlight on it because it's very difficult
1: to turn your own beacon on and get people to notice it. Hello dreamers and action takers. Welcome to another episode of the Want Money Got Money podcast. I'm your host, Sam Kamani, and my today's guest is Dr. Lauren Mayers. She has a PhD in microbiology, but these days helps startups and entrepreneurs, especially technical founders, to get their message across. So she helps them with content as well as storytelling and pitching she has also become a social entrepreneur and she is working on a very exciting startup herself as a founder so without further ado let's get into it first of all thank you so much for coming on the show it's great to have you here and can't wait to find out a bit more about you so um what are you up to these days
0: Well, thanks so much, Sam. I always appreciate being a guest because I'm usually on the other side of the microphone. So it's kind of nice to be on this side once in a while. So thank you for that. So aside from doing my own podcast, one of the things that I've been working on very heavily is content marketing, largely around the theme of your show, which is trying to help other companies, mostly startups, but not always. A lot of enterprise companies with their grants. Some of these grants are in things as you know, obscure as consumer packaged goods and grants and opportunities for women and minorities. Other grants are in and around movies and filmmaking, but the bulk of what I do because of my PhD science
1: background is writing scientific grants. Oh, very interesting. And how did you get into this field? How did you get started? Well, I guess
0: like, you know, that's a, a long story, but sort of where I am, it's, it's kind of funny. I'm at that stage where things are really coming full circle. So. I did my PhD in molecular biology, genetically engineering mosquitoes, so that they could not yeah. transmit malaria. Like, I went to the bench because I grew up in northern Ontario, Canada, where I was eaten yeah. alive by mosquitoes, so I hated them. And I thought, oh, I will spend long years at <laughs> university so that I can find ways to destroy them. Yeah. And because I thought other people must hate them too, right? Yeah. And then. As I got older, I learned that you know mosquitoes were not only destructive and annoying in the middle of the night, but they were killing millions of children and people yeah. worldwide with malaria. So yeah. at that time, I became a social entrepreneur, but I didn't really sort of know it or understand it. Worked at the bench for a very long time, dah, 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 got my degree, and then I went, enough yeah. of this. I, instead of being at the bench, I much prefer communicating. And I realized I could translate stories Amongst groups of people, like the commercial people, the software engineers, you know, and, you know, the uh, like not just the marketeers, but and the scientists. So I hooked up with the incubator, the Edison incubator, and joined a startup. And it was pretty much an exercise in, you know, how to blow through 67 million in venture capital in two and a half years. But I learned a ton.
1: (laughs) What was that startup called?
0: Uh, It was called Netgenics. And yeah. The idea was sound. It was at the first time that people were looking at trying to create interoperability amongst different sort of data formats for pharma so that it could expedite yeah. drug discovery rather than just stick everything in Excel and you know, hope it exports, because mm-hmm. that really wasn't working by that point. There were starting to be different data types, like genetic data, some protein folding data, all of these other things. And from there, I went on actually to form a tech standards group, the I3C which is about Interoperable Integrated Informatics uh, Consortium. And that kind of put me on the path of trying to understand bigger picture. Again, not really realizing I was a social entrepreneur, but then I can skip over all of the middle stuff and come back to it. But now I'm founding a company which is called Steer Us, which is all about coaching students on the soft skills that they need for success at life, at school, and at work.
1: Very interesting. Yes, I did see about Steers on your LinkedIn um, profile. Um, yeah, would love to know a bit more about Steers. So how does it all work?
0: Well, we're still at the very early stage. Like everybody else, COVID eh, had some other plans in mind. We were working with some of the uh, New Jersey colleges, NJIT and Rutgers mm-hmm. University as part of the Capstone program where select students as part of their fourth year honors thesis work with different companies in the area and you work on different projects together. Well, that was going really well. We were building our MVP. The students were really into it. We were trying to find innovative ways of disrupting the coaching industry because, of course, if you're going to be a startup, you got to disrupt the industry. So that's coaching. You know, why should... You know, why should it take three months every other week and thousands of dollars to get coached, right? That model yes. doesn't work for students. And of course, you need to democratize access. Students, you know, they're not part of the 0.01% executive group of Fortune 500s. They get tens of thousands of dollars of excellent top tier coaching. So we need to democratize yeah. it. So we figured out, okay, great, let's do this. On getting started for our pilot, built the MVP, we were ready to go. And then COVID just, you know, blew up the team, blew up everything. Thankfully, no one was physically impaired um, by the pandemic, but it certainly impacted our our financing and where we are. So now we've kind of come through the other side. We've got our MVP. We're gearing up for a couple of pilots here at the end of the year.
1: Excellent. How, How did you fund that MVP? Did everyone just put in sweat equity or did you have a backing or from an, I don't know, accelerator, incubator, angel investors? How did it all work? So, so far it's self-funded yep. by me.
0: And that's how, you know, I use my, my day job, right? My main line, which is, like I said, content marketing. Yep. And that's been funding it. And of course the sweat equity of my team, they're putting in, you know, enormous efforts, if, you know, albeit not dollars, but that's how we're moving things forward. And that means it's going slower than we had liked But now we've developed enough momentum. Some things have changed really in our favor in the last couple of weeks. It's been this like tremendous, I don't know what happened, but I don't know, the stars aligned, harmonic (laughs) convergence, something, (laughs) but it's starting to really go like in a a very good direction and starting to accelerate.
1: Yeah, that's great to hear. So, us. will it work like a marketplace where students who want coaching and there are coaches or or how would it work? How would it disrupt that coaching industry?
0: So, yes. So that's one piece that it's a marketplace so you can go and get everything from assessments to find coaches. And that in itself is not wholly unusual, but people haven't really combined both of those pieces. But what is unusual is the way that we're presenting the content. So we're trying to meet students where they are, which is engaging them with multimedia, interactive multimedia and short burst microburst learning. So that on demand, you know, because, today's really generation. I'm going to sound old and and date myself, but there you go. Everybody wants what they want when they want it. And they're not going to spend three months being coached. I'm going to Google it. I'm going to go on YouTube, show me a video. I've got a minute and a half. That's it. I want the answer. I'm in, I'm out. So this is the model. And this is how we're disrupting coaching is by bringing quality curated content. Like I said, sure, you can go on YouTube Yeah. and it may have a million views, but does it mean it's good advice? Who knows? right? Yeah. So we've got certified coaches putting together a very strong learning and development curriculum that meets learning and objective you know, guidelines and really brings quality content to the students. And then if the content's not enough, of course, they can interact and engage with the coaches in either a social or private way.
1: Yes. Uh, so I, I get it. So it will eventually become like a full platform for people to interact, learn everything, get feedback, yes. all that.
0: Correct. Correct. We are building a platform. It's not a coaching service. It is a technology platform, EdTech.
1: Yep. Yep. Excellent. Um, Tell me a bit about um, Toasted Marshmallow. (laughs) (laughs) So Toasted Marshmallow
0: makes Steerus possible because it it pays for things. So as a content marketeer, I stepped aside uh, several years ago. And people won't be able to see the audience, but, you know, sort of inherited two stepchildren at an early teens age, and they needed a lot of attention and support. So I couldn't maintain, you know, big corporate uh, working, you know, 70 plus 80 hours a week, traveling worldwide, being gone all the time. The family just wasn't going to be able to sustain that. So I thought, well, I know how to write things. I am a storyteller. So that's what started Toasted Marshmallow. And for those people in your audience that are interested, why the name came about. So of yeah. course, if you think about storytelling, where's the best place in the world to tell stories? Internet? Well, there's that. But around the campfire. Like we've been yes. so coveted for so long, right? We all got coroned. We forget that we can sit around a campfire and, and toast marshmallows together.
1: Oh yes. Yes. <laughs>
0: And tell stories, right? Largely ghost stories. But so that's what started it. And it's not toasted marshmallow. It's toasted marshmallow. Because that reflects me and where I am in my journey that I'm mellow. But it also says that I'm old enough to be a little burnt and singed on the outside, but I'm still warm and gooey on the inside. (laughs)
1: <laughs> excellent, excellent name, and yeah, it, it all makes sense when you when you talk about it. It's um, toasting virtual marshmallows now. That's right, <laughs> For everyone. Yes, because of the time we live in, and um, and it is the time of virtual storytelling. Um, so um, since you do help startups, entrepreneurs, founders, people like that, um get their story across to help them get funding or get them help funded, whether it is through public funding or private or, or, or whatever it is. Um, would love to know a bit about, you know, what makes a good story.
0: It's really all about that emotional connection, right? You can talk all day long that this happened to you and then that happened to you and that happened to you. And if you're a monotone, you know, I'm like, yeah, and it happened. And then it happened again. I mean, yeah. people aren't going to connect with it no matter how awesome the story was. If it's like, yeah, I remember the first time I won the lotto, I won 18 million. And then a year later, I played again and I won four million. Like no one's gonna connect, right? They're gonna go like, oh my God, what's wrong with you? Like I'd be jumping up and down, right? If I won a hundred thousand in the, you yeah. know, in some lotto. And so you've gotta have that emotion that's not only behind it, like in the story but it has to be the emotion that when you convey it and the different ways that you can play with that are around the style and tone of voice that you use when you write your story. So as a content marketeer with multiple clients and everything from like SaaS tech to uh, companion diagnostics, to pharmaceuticals, to FinTech, you know, lots of regulated stuff where the legal beagles, you know, pretty much want you to be compliant and you don't get to have fun with your language, you know, but I have to change my style and tone all the time. And the how you sort of set your sentence, you know, the cadence, um, how many syllables you want in your words, how many words you want in a sentence. You know, do you want to do sharp punctuation so every once in a while you really, like, make it staccato? Yes, so I said it, and then so, and more. And so you can make it really punchy and a little irreverent, and that works for the brands and reflects that voice. And that helps put that emotion into the story so that readers then who have the personal traits and characteristics that you're targeting, because they speak like that, they hear you through the story speaking to them, and they connect with the story. That's how you do it.
1: That is um yeah, really good, really good, useful advice. Do you have an example of um, where you help one of your clients with good story, good storytelling help them get what they wanted or or what you something that you tweaked or something that you helped them with?
0: i yes, i'm I'm very fortunate. I have a number of different examples, so, and like I said, they range. So with the pharmaceutical and companion diagnostics companies that I've worked for, you really have to toe the line and you don't have a lot of flexibility. That's all about scientific credibility. So everything that I do, even if it's a story is heavily substantiated with fact and scientific articles, like not opinion pieces. Yeah. Another client I work for is Israel's largest financial services vendor where they're monitoring mm-hmm. for compliance like market abuse, market frauds, insider trading, that kind of thing. Yeah. And all of that language, again, it has to meet enough of the like regulations and the audience because it's targeting bankers and investment firms, but it's got to be played up enough where it's a bit provocative. Yeah. And so you've got to get people thinking, well, what if, right? Now that there's yeah. not compliance workers walking on the trade floor anymore because no one's on the trade floor, what's happening? Yeah. Who's in their kitchen playing with their phones doing nefarious things that they shouldn't be? How do yeah. you go get those guys, right? Or gals. Gals are yeah. bad too. Not as often, but they are. <laughs> <laughs> and the story I'm really uh, like proud to be associated with right now, uh, there's a young group of filmmakers in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them hails from Ghana. And he's telling the story, and I don't want to give it away because he hasn't gone public with all of this, but he's telling the story that will become the anthem of every black boy in America who's raised, you know, in the projects or in, you know, parts of the neighborhood that maybe aren't as savory and are a little little terrifying to live in and to survive in. And that's his story that he's bringing forward. So I'm helping. I've identified a number of grants, and we're working together on grant applications. And the team there, they're just they're amazing. So I want their story out everywhere they've got so much to say
1: yeah some marketers or some content writers or when they're doing things that they want the end result is that they want sales or user registrations so or user acquisition and and a lot of them they have like a I don't know, they have some sort of a structure such as like, um, get the attention, develop interest, make it into a desire and get them to take action or um, AIDA or something like that. Or, or um, they have a structure. Is there a structure you follow for, um, for certain types of clients or, or is it just on a per case basis?
0: Well, things have really shifted. Like in the last, I guess, six months plus now, you know, in yes. this era of COVID chaos, yeah. Social marketing has started to change. People have started to tune out. If you look at the yeah. big companies, you know ad revenues are way down for them because people aren't connecting. People are scrolling yeah. past it. I'm sick of it.
1: Yeah. I just want to
0: detach. I'll look at a couple of pictures from my friends. I don't want to look at anything reality-based. Yeah. I don't want to look at your company and what you're selling. So what I'm saying, Sam, is all bets are off. So yeah. the one thing that you can adhere to and you have to be consistent, well, I guess there's two things. One, you have to be consistent in your posting. And I don't just mean your style or your brand or your look, but you know, if you're going to show up and your audience expects you to be there every Wednesday or every day, then you need to be, that's one. And I'm guilty of that too. I've, I've wavered here over this, you know, COVID stuff, but, but that is one thing that you've got to do. The other thing that I find my clients do is that they kind of like when people are reading their story, things get muddled. Cause they'll have four or five calls to action and it's really confusing. Yeah. So the reader becomes conflated. Should I sign up for your newsletter or should I read to the bottom of this and then pre-order your book? Or should I write a review for you or like, which should I do? And they just tune out, right? They're yeah. already hard to get eyeballs and ears right now with so much noise out there in the space. Yeah. So you want to be very clear. One call to action, test that, work on that and then expand and sort of like the next part of your campaign. All right. You want to move from generating leads and subscribers to your newsletter. You want to move them to promoting and buying what it is you're selling. Then you change up the content and you have a different call to action.
1: Excellent. So I got two things out of that. Number one, be consistent with your content, with your story, with your writing, however you're engaging. And number two, have one call to action. Do not confuse your reader, your user. So that's right. Very, very practical advice. Um, <clears throat> you have worked with a lot of founders, entrepreneurs, startups, and and so on. What is the number one thing that you see them making mistakes in their storytelling, content writing, and and so on?
0: Well, I'm going to be. I guess uh, focus here, my answer on scientists, because I can say I am one, or at least I was one, right? Once upon a time before I joined the dark side of, you know, commercial land, but scientists, here's the thing that I see all of the time with my scientific founders that I support. They don't know when to step aside. They want to convey their story and it's everything that they do, you know, sort of this is a bless their hearts moment, is 99.9999999% perfection. Because of course, in science, you're trained to be absolutely accurate. You can't fudge your results. You should never do that. That's going to discredit you. Your reputation is everything, all that good stuff. But what happens is that they become so myopically fixated on getting it to that level of accuracy and purity that A, the story never gets out. B, the story becomes so weighted by all of the stuff that has to go in there to substantiate it that it's the proverbial, like, you lose the forest through the trees. Or C, it's so highbrow and beyond what anybody sort of like, you know, a mere mortal reading it would want to read and absorb that they get turned off from the moment they, they start reading it. So you never capture your audience. And those are the three things that I see that scientists do wrong with respect to storytelling. And, and if I could add Sam, I mean, yeah. look at the news, look at, so my whole thesis is that scientists have sucked at marketing, like since time began, yeah. they, they just have. If yeah. you look at the case, scientists are valued less than almost every other profession on the planet. Now things shifted at the beginning of COVID, everybody got oh, pretty excited, right? And that's even what what my book is about, like, you know, the battle for humanity and how science saved us because I wanted to espouse the value of scientists and they were in the news 24-7 and it was fantastic. And then everybody's like, oh, yeah, I'm sick of science. What do you mean it's going to take years to produce a vaccine? Forget it. I'm out. And scientists missed the moment. They should have come back hitting hard with every scientist on the planet and every organization supporting research, contributing. To a like global marketing campaign to talk about the value of science.
1: That is so so true. Um, I would like to put my two cents in as well, and and I think the scientists just need to make science sexy again. You know, it's it is just like um, it's like if someone went and talked about battery technology it won't be that fun but elon musk can you know build the most valuable car company in the world based on battery technology because he has made it fun he has made it exciting and and that's just what you need to do it's like um just like you know sports and things like that are fun um and and glamorous so they they just need to work on the pr side of things if they want to move humanity forward
0: that's right. And and there's also sort of like the dark side. I mean, but it's an interesting story. Like Elon has spent days sleeping on the floor of the factory. Like he's yeah. got his hands right in there and he's doing it. And so people connect with that level of authenticity and that work ethic. Well, scientists have the same. Scientists sleep in their office, you know, offices and cots and everything numerous times, especially with all this COVID research. I mean, people don't realize that the pace is absolutely exponentially faster than it's ever been yeah so people are not sleeping they're not going home they're working at the bench 24 7 and they need to have a PR campaign around that and say damn it they're trying hard like really
1: hard so that they save the rest of us yeah yeah um and and I think that's pretty much what's needed as you said it is the it is the knowledge of what the sacrifices they're making and maybe a a reality TV show. That's what it is because pretty much to me, Elon Musk is a living reality TV show unfolding across the whole planet, and spreading it through his 40 million plus Twitter followers and, and whatnot other social media followers. So yeah, that's what science needs more, more champions to, to promote it. Um, so, so yeah, no, that, that is, um, great. Um, I have got just a few more questions. And one of that is that, you know, if you were starting now, what advice would you give to yourself? So say if, you know, if you could go back and give your younger self 20 years ago, some advice on your career trajectory and, and all that, what, would, yeah, what advice would you have?
0: Follow my own instincts. So this is the, you know, I don't want to blame my parents, but, you know, part of the podcast I wanted to go to journalism school. My parents said, no, you need to get a real degree. So I thought, well, I guess a master's in science and a PhD in molecular biology constitutes a real degree. So that's what I'll do. But I really should have stopped off at the master's level and Mm -hmm. done an MBA because I was always more attracted to that whole commercial side of trying to convey the message and connect with users and, you know, drive readership, drive revenues drive engagement, drive customer satisfaction, build brands. Yeah. But I wanted to do it within the science field because I've always been fascinated. And as I tell people, I am a STEMinist and want to be a model, you know, for young girls and say, yeah, you know, you can, you can have it all. You can have painted fingernails and cool clothes and still work in tech.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's great. Um, <clears throat> any any secrets to to connecting with your users because <laughs> every founder needs to connect with their users doesn't matter you are uh, in a completely tech heavy or a business heavy industry it doesn't matter how do you find that someone to um, shine that <laughs> light on it so one of the philosophies i follow is stand
0: in the rain right and if you the, the whole mindset around that is if you stand in the rain Of other people, you're bound to get wet. Yeah. So that was one of the things, and and my and this is my hope. You take it, but like, it's not sort of a secret to share with other founders. But it is my secret. Two years from now, I want to be giving my TED talk that talks about the pre marketing marketing strategy. I've spent a career doing anti marketing marketing in science because no one wants to be pitched, so it's all got to be data and credibility and stuff. So it's like anti marketing to get credibility and thought leadership, but you're not really marketing and saying, oh, look at this glossy, fabulous thing. Yeah. It's the same thing for founders and to drive engagement is start connecting with other people on LinkedIn who are your influencers, that if you had your choice and you could stand in their rain and catch one raindrop, drop,
1: mm-hmm.
0: who would those people be? Interact with them. Reach out. Don't be afraid, but don't go in cold. So there's some superstar like an Elon Musk. Hey, Elon, you know, cool battery. <laughs> I mean, you know, come on, right? Yeah. So you've got to work your way up and build like karma points, credibility points. It's the the same kind of
1: thing, but you got to start from day one. Excellent, I am going to make quotes of this and put it on Instagram with your name underneath. Stand in the rain. <laughs> such valuable advice, and I have seen that time and time again, like even with my friends who are podcasters who inspired me to get started, they had their podcast and someone who had like you know three hundred and fifty thousand or a million followers and all that, and she commented on their thing and put his podcast link out to her followers just that she enjoyed it this episode or something and boom immediately um they went to like you know in the top ten in multiple countries and all that. So um it can happen. Um and, and I have seen it happen multiple times. So many people have got their break just like that by standing in the rain or or standing on the shoulders of the giants you can say so yeah oh for sure
0: like we all stand on everybody else's shoulders right like we yes. build on we're we're not that original and we're not that special there's a large body of work and effort that's come before each of us and yep. you know we stand on those shoulders but it is about that like we're you know what one person away maybe two people away from who we need to meet. And you never know. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Yes. Especially with LinkedIn. It's magic. LinkedIn is, (laughs) is great. Um, I have this last three quick fire questions. And first one is, is there any book that you are reading right now?
0: Yes. I'm reading essentialism, which is kind of ironic because I'm somebody who has 8,000 things on my to-do list. And it's also part of the reason why I need the book but it's like really about like, what can you cut out, cut out anything that's not serving you, be it on a personal or professional side. And that's the bottom line. You didn't need a whole thick book to read. Now I've, I've saved you the time, but it is really
1: important to keep that top of mind. Sounds a bit like Marie Kondo for your task list.
0: (laughs) Yes. Do you find joy in writing this If It does not spark joy. Do not do (laughs) it, right?
1: Exactly right. You say that. (laughs) Um, Second one is, is there any podcast recommendation and what's your podcast called? (laughs) So
0: my podcast that I run is called Women in Tech, Like a Boss.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: And of course, I highly recommend that your listeners jump over and and tune in because we feature... A large number of women guests, female founders, but also some interesting male guests as well. So kind of equal opportunity. And we had a tremendous guest uh, last week, Sheila North. She is the one and only female that has ever served in the role of Grand Chief of a tribe, part of the First wow. Nations Free Nation. And she had some wow. phenomenal insights there on Indigenous peoples and their needs and where that's going. So you can find all kinds of interesting people. So I, I do recommend that podcast.
1: Yes, that's great. Yep. Um, I will introduce after this, I will introduce you to someone who is building an app to promote indigenous languages that are being lost because every, I don't know, something like every week or two weeks, a language is lost from the from the world, which are just spoken languages. So it's an app to tell stories in indigenous languages that other people can follow and all that. So um, amazing, amazing founder. So yeah, I'll introduce you to her (laughs) after this. Yep. Fantastic. And um, last, I'll put all these links, by the way, for anyone listening, I'll put all these links in the description and and everywhere this goes out to. Final question is, if you had unlimited time, money, resources, um, what would you build? um, What would you work on?
0: I would put everything into what I'm doing now because I really believe in the power of coaching. If I had had coaching, I wouldn't have been in some of the pickles that I found myself in when I left Silicon Valley and rode that way from .com to .bomb. And then it was like, you know, what next? And went spiraling. And I would just love to be in a position where I worked with different people and had, you know, unlimited amounts of money and access where we could bring all this tremendous knowledge to the 800 million high school and college students worldwide and say, hey, life's really tough right now with COVID. You mm. need resilience, you need adaptability, and you got to be successful and be prepared to change and evolve. And let's build those soft skills into you. Make them power skills. So I go, go all in, Sam, all in. Oh, that's great!
1: <laughs> Does that mean will, will you be looking for funding for your um for this platform that you're building?
0: Yes, because my money is running out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's great. I will look. I've, I've got all your links. I will put put them out under in the description. But for anyone that wants to connect with you, reach out to you. Um, what's the best way?
0: So, Laurelyn at steerus.io, and nobody can spell my name, so it's L-O-R-A-L-Y-N, at steer, S-T-E-E-R-U-S.io.
1: Fantastic. And I'll put your link to your LinkedIn and other platforms that you're active on. So yep, all good. But thank you so much for being a guest here. And it was an absolute pleasure. And I got to learn so many things about storytelling and how technical founders can get their message across. So thank you once again.
0: Thank you for the opportunity, Sam. I really appreciate it. And we'll be tuning into your podcast regularly. Great stuff in there. Lots of insights from all your
1: guests. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Want Money, Got Money with Sam Kamani. Hope you enjoyed the show and got some valuable insights that would help you in your startup or your business. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate this show on your favorite platform. It would be extremely helpful. And I just cannot tell you how much I would appreciate that.